0: Welcome to Market Foolery. It's Tuesday, April 10th. I'm Chris Helen. joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser from Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hansen, and Bill Mann. Gentlemen, happy Tuesday. Hey. hey. Uh, we've got Facebook's new billion dollar toy. Uh, we've got the battle for the control of Cracker Barrel, which I can't believe I just said. But yes, it is actually a battle for the control of. Cracker Barrel. Uh, But we're going to start with Best Buy. Uh, Best Buy announced that Brian Dunn has resigned as CEO and director. Uh, Director Mike Mikan has been named interim CEO. Dunn started 28 years ago as a store clerk. He's been CEO for the past three years. Jason, uh, that's, that's, that's a nice story in and of itself, I think, that he started as a store clerk. Clerk and ended up as CEO, but I should also today. mention that when this news broke, shares of Best Buy shot up about three percent.
1: Yeah, on a bad day too. I mean I you know, I don't want to really say anything too terribly bad about the former CEO here at Best Buy because I I think that it wasn't really so much a product of what he did there. I think Best Buy's just in a real tough situation here with a bunch of stores that are just glorified showrooms for Amazon and, and their ilk. So, the internet is more to blame, I think, than yeah. actual
0: done. So, we have this interim CEO. Uh, presumably, they're going to do a search and bring in a, a new CEO for, you know, quote-unquote, the long haul. Um what what is the recipe? What is the blueprint for turning this company around? I think they need to line their stores with
2: lead so the internet doesn't work <laughs> inside. I mean, you go into the. I mean, my, my wife is not China uh, strategy. <laughs> <It's> fascinating. <laughs> you know, I my my wife is not enormously technological. But uh, last time we were in a Best Buy, which was I must say some time ago now, uh, you know, she was walking around and she was looking at at, at DVDs and she had. You know, an, an an app on her uh, on you know on on her phone, and she was comparing prices and buying things over the internet from the store. So, you know, the, the, these big boxes have lost. You know, it, th- there's no reason for them to have lost leaders anymore because that's all that they will sell. Because everything else, once you're inside the store, the the impulse buy craze is, you know, it's over. And uh, well, I don't except, know what for,
0: do. except for right after Thanksgiving when the impulse you know craze seems to be in full force or apparently like friday saturday nights after people have been drinking some of the highest times <laughs> yes. for online shopping yes. really yeah i read that the other day jason what do you think is there is he there... read it on a friday night <laughs> <laughs> while <shopping>. i was <laughs> purchasing multiple magazine discussions online shopping, drunk <laughs> texting, <laughs> drunk how is cat texting? fancy <laughs> um, jason is there a way to fix best buy that does not involved turning it into essentially another version of Radio Shack because we've talked about that before that you know you, you go with the much smaller footprint you know far fewer items but really that's just another Radio Shack.
1: Yeah it is and I mean I think that's really about the only option they do have. I mean if you look at this the the one shining part of their business right now is actually online sales. They were up last quarter but I mean revenues have been flat in the past few years. They're pushing out accounts receivable. I mean their day sales outstanding. They're not they're not getting that cash back from those sales quickly enough and I just don't see any reason why they they can do anything other than just streamline. It's, you look at Barnes and Noble for example, that's kind of doing the same thing here. They're even looking at possibly spinning off that nook Business into its own entity. And they're essentially having to streamline and become a smaller business. So if they want to stay relevant, they're going to have to get smaller and they're focused on that, that mobile department. And the one good thing for them, at least, is that they lease most of their land. They don't own that stuff. So they're not stuck with a the bill there. But
0: I don't know that there is a choice. Really, but at least point. Barnes & Noble has the Nook. They right. have that device that, you know, whether they spin it yeah, off or Best not. Best Buy arguably has nothing. No, yeah, they don't have that. Well, the
2: one thing that they do have is that Best, Best Buy sells something that is, you know, a lot of things that are a lot more complex than what, you know, your average bookstore sells. And, they you know, you, if you go in and you want, you know, to buy, you know, an audiovisual system, A lot of the local competitors have gotten off so much worse than even Best Buy that that's basically your option now. So they do have some opportunity there with, you know, with. Uh, you know, with multi-component systems, you know, in the installation and, and things of that nature, and that's
1: very high-margin stuff. Yeah, that Geek Squad. I mean, I think is, is something you know, or Magnolia. You, as long as the, they have people know. there who know what they're doing. When you go into a store there and you're asking someone about a computer or a stereo system and they don't really know what they're talking about, that's yeah. the cue to leave. And so, if they can focus on at least making sure they get people in there who know what they're doing, and uh, I mean, if it's a smaller business, it's a smaller business. It doesn't mean it can't be successful. Tim,
3: you know, I, I think they brought up the point that. Some sort of branded differentiator is what is what Best Buy needs and, mm-hmm. and whether it's a doubling down on, on the service aspect of what they do or coming out with you know, acquiring a product or developing their own product like the, the Fire or the iPad or something they can sell exclusively, you know, that gets people to the website because at the end of the day I think a lot of these stores make their money on the peripherals, you know, the cables that hook things together, that sort of speakers, that sort of thing. And you know, but if you're not selling the T V or you're not selling the tablet you're not going to sell the peripherals really either. People are going to easily buy those online. Yeah. So.
0: The stock is trading near a three-year low. Any any of you guys tempted, or is this the proverbial value trap? I, I don't know that I'd call it a value trap because I think – I mean, it, it.
2: the the stock has been beaten to death. And I think that they do have some optionality, but there is there is execution risk. I mean, if you were to ask if, – if you were to show me five years from now that, that Best Buy has done really well as a stock – I wouldn't be that shocked.
0: Yesterday, Facebook announced it's buying Instagram, the popular photo-sharing app, for $1 billion. Instagram was founded two years ago and has 14 really happy employees. Um, <laughs> Tim, I'll start with you. Because last week, uh, Sequoia Capital did another VC round of funding for Instagram, which valued the company at $500 million. So did Facebook, one, why did Facebook make this acquisition? And two, did they overpay for it? I, th- I think they made it because engagement,
3: I mean, this is sort of the the, the um, rumblings around when they filed their prospectus is that their engagement numbers are overstated and that Facebook isn't engaging people like, you know, like power users would expect when people are going online yeah. they're putting out photos or liking things, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, for a company like Facebook, the only way to get high margin advertising dollars is to have engaged users. Instagram, by most accounts, I'm not a user because I'm not a teenage girl, <laughs> but um, Instagram, by most accounts, has a very engaged user base. Uh, so I think, you know, Facebook... <laughs> <laughs> facebook would like to uh extend that technology over their entire platform this just <laughs> in tim hansen <laughs> to try to engage you know their massive user base in, in in a better way um you know so is it worth it to facebook they're about to raise a truckload of money so this is this is probably an irrelevant dollar amount for them yeah. and and you know so from from that lens they probably didn't overpay and and it's a
0: worthy gambit because if they start losing engagement i mean they don't have anything well and they must have more than just teenage girls, because they've got well, tens of millions of users. You yeah, don't
2: well, think the, there are tens of millions of teenage girls? I mean, my joke about this is that <laughs> yeah, my joke about this is that basically uh, Facebook paid a billion dollars for something that makes pictures blue, you know. So, or old timey, or old timey, which yeah. is also blue. Um, I mean, people pay good money for that at the uh, at the Disney World. Yes, at the Disney, the at Disney. the Disney, so there, they pay for the old time. There, th- th- there are two things that Facebook is, is 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 fighting. One is is that its engagement amongst you know amongst younger users has dropped a lot as it has gone up substantially with most importantly their parents. You know, because Facebook used to be the place where. You know, kids would go and they could talk with each other without you know without their parents being able right. to see what they were doing. And so they, that that has they they've lost a little bit of that. And the other thing is that Instagram is very popular in China, where Facebook is still trying to get. A, a foothold, and this is one of the ways that they think that they can get engagement and really get that foothold in China.
0: Does it make sense for Facebook to just completely integrate this, or to keep the Instagram brand separate the way that Google has uh, essentially done with YouTube? It,
2: I, it probably. I mean, I think it, probably to keep it separate. It sounds
1: mm-hmm. like that's their intention right now is to keep it separate and work along with them to to incorporate it. I think into that greater yep. universe. But I mean. I It seems like Instagram is just that kind of service that would complement something like Facebook. And if you want to take it to the nth degree, I mean, you look at something like Twitter that could also complement Facebook very nicely. I mean, I don't know that we're going to see an acquisition there, but to me, that wouldn't be. I mean,
0: Mark Zuckerberg basically said we we don't expect to do many of these, many more of these, if we do any at all. So
1: that's what he says now. But (laughs) Chris, do you really believe that?
0: Well, I mean, to Tim's point. Once oh, well, Zuckerberg's
3: been a very trustworthy guy over the years.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. Well, to Tim's point. Oh, yeah, I'll write that for to you. To Tim's yeah. point. I mean, they, they are about to raise a truckload of money. Yeah. I mean, is there another acquisition out there? I mean, you mentioned Twitter. Does does that kind of thing make sense? Or should the next point of focus for Facebook be just getting that public offering Well, I've read off I
3: read an interesting study um, contrasting Twitter users and Facebook users, and they're actually quite – different people for the most part. Facebook users tend to be, A, they're using their real names, and they're basically sharing, I don't know what you would call sort of the warm, fuzzy moments of their lives with each other, whereas Twitter tends to be anonymous, and people tend to be sharing sort of sarcasm and links and that sort of thing. And so there's not a whole lot of overlap between, and if somebody is a, both a Twitter and a Facebook user, generally they're using the things differently. Yeah, so definitely. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for those two companies combined, because then you know, you end up with, with, a, with a service that maybe doesn't satisfy anyone. Um, Instagram, like I said, you know, the joke about, you know, the teenage girl joke, I, to the extent that it's not entirely true, you know, the fact is it's appealing. You know, they said in, the, in an article this morning, it, it appeals to the dopamine part of people. You know, you get instant gratification. It's like a warm, fuzzy feeling when you put out a cheesy photo and your friend likes and comments on it Then you do it again and you share all these goofy photos. You know, whether that's worth a billion dollars, I think that's probably not worth a billion dollars, but the engagement that Facebook Apparently is getting. Apparently it is. Yeah. Well, that's the <laughs> oh, thing. You know? Au contraire. We like to think of our, ourselves as a world of intellectuals when the evidence suggests that we're probably not.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they could go out and buy I Can Has Cheeseburger next. and you know, Exactly. Pictures of kittens. Kittens. And merge oh, that old-timey slides, pictures yeah. of old-timey kittens. Old-timey <laughs> pictures of kittens. Now we are talking.
0: I, I got to go. I got
2: to start. I was going to say, once we're done taping, I think we have a new business plan to write up.
0: <laughs> Cracker Barrel is in a fight with one of its biggest investors, Sardar Biglari, the head of Biglari Holdings, and a guy who some have called a Warren Buffett wannabe, has a 16% stake in Cracker Barrel. This morning, the company announced a move to limit shareholders from owning more than 20% of the company. Um, Bill Mann, this is still subject to shareholder approval. Cracker Barrel tried something like this last year with a 10% threshold. Shareholders rejected it. Who should shareholders be rooting for? Should they be backing the company? Should they be backing Sardar Big Larry?
2: You know, I Big Larry has a uh, has has a rather successful track record of going in and cleaning up uh really restaurant companies. I mean he's he, he's done. Steak enough, and shake like, right? Steak and shake, for example. I mean he was he was the lead activist for for friendlies, which was you know which was taken private. Mm-hmm. Um and so he's found it, you know. So you can, you should really assume that if, he, if he's going after, after a company, that you've got a management that has uh, produced pretty, retor- pretty poor returns on capital. So uh, I think you would probably want to be backing Big Larry here.
1: Jason? He called, he called crack, Cracker Barrel's performance lugubrious. So it's obviously not been very good. That's got good goober the in season. the middle of it. So that's... <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's going in there and cleaning house. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Have you been to a Cracker Barrel? I drive by them on the highway. I've never actually stepped inside. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, I have. I mean, they're you know everywhere down south, and my in-laws like it. But I mean, I, I can't figure out what's more attractive. Big with I mean, girls, they are yeah, the huge. all of the trinkets that you get from the store when Cracker you walk in, should have or bought the Instagram. I mean, the food I don't really find all that good, and so then it's just this, you know. Mass inventory of trinkets and, and cluttered stuff that people buy for their houses and never really do anything with. So I don't know that the I don't see the attraction there. But I mean, it seems like an inventory nightmare.
0: What's the go-to menu item at a Cracker Barrel if, if I'm going in with you?
1: I think you got to get breakfast at whatever time of day it is. So you get something like some, you know, biscuits, biscuits. or grits and eggs or something. I mean. I've never been to one. Really?
0: I know. I'm from North Carolina. I've never uh, been. To why America. are you acting surprised?
3: You haven't been to one either.
0: Well, but he's from North Carolina. I, I know, know.
1: It's like I'm you know. sniffing a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Tim, have you been to one? No, no. no. Right.
0: Yeah, Tim. Well, I, I mean, I can Look, tell you all. A, you're not really missing anything, so right. don't worry. About
1: it.
2: We have waffle houses, so I mean, if Truth I'm going to go told, somewhere to do the- some real damage.
1: I would rather go to a Waffle House than a, than a Cracker Barrel, nine times out of ten. Yeah.
0: Stepping back from Cracker Barrel, when you guys see these types of fights going on, whether it's Sardar Big Laurie or a guy like Carl Icahn, what, what goes through your mind as an analyst when you're watching an, an activist investor step up and take a big chunk of a company is that does that interest you in terms of the stock uh, does it depend on who the person is
2: yeah very much so I mean we, being being long-term investors I think that uh, you know their companies, I, I guess it's good news and bad news that there are mismanaged companies everywhere, and so when you have, you know, when when you know when you have a uh, an activist go in and they're they're suggesting things that really seem to make sense. I mean, that's you know what you have there is the potential for change and a and a potential for revaluation, and I think that's generally a good thing. Um, a lot of people, you know, a lot, a lot of investors who are coming in and and being, you know, being active are just looking for a, you know, a quick hit, having the stock go up so they can get out, and that's not that attractive to us.
3: I was going to say, I think, you know, first, I think I'm envious of people who have that much money that you can actually go and exact exact change on a company because, as Bill noted there are a lot of poorly run companies out there. I mean, you go into, you know, a retailer in your hometown and just look around and think about all the things you'd do differently. Mm-hmm. You know, and chances are there's a better way to run a lot of the companies that are yeah. public. So it'd be nice to have that opportunity mm-hmm. because so many times you buy a stock and they screw things up and you're like, oh, come on. come on. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the other point being that, you know, in the case of, of activist investors, my sense has always been that it's, it's better to just get lucky and be there when the bid comes in than it is to buy in after the, Sort of guy has shown up in the White Knight because you know Icon and Big Biglari. I think this is particularly true of Big Biglari, the value they create, to the extent they're creating value, they pretty much take mostly for themselves, mm-hmm. yeah. and the common shareholders don't really benefit that much along the way as a result.
2: No, I think that's I, I think that's exactly right.
0: Uh, I got to wrap up with some emails that we got uh, in response to yesterday's podcast where we were talking about McDonald's search for the perfect French fry, and people emailed us their. Their best French fry, Tim. Do you want to just weigh in quickly? I know you're you're not a big French fry guy. You but. know I've been running
3: through. There's what's the place on the Delaware on the Rehoboth Beach Boardwalk? Anybody? Can anybody help me out with that? <laughs> you're
2: talking about Boardwalk Fries or Lido Pizza? No, no, that's so pizza. It's the, it's the fry. B- <laughs> there <laughs> <That's>,
0: you go. <laughs> Woo! Pick that up from the sign, did you? No, I did. Well, did there's... you look it up, Mac?
2: Is it like Thrashers? Or- thrashers! Yes.
0: yes! Matt Greer. Coming, thrashers. Coming strong Thrashers
2: the does
3: a good fry, and they refuse to give you ketchup. And I respect that. Because <laughs> I like getting bossed around when, when <laughs> I'm told that I can't, <laughs> can't eat things the way I want <laughs> to eat Food with
0: rules. Listeners weighed in with some suggestions. Uh, you can always drop us an email, radio at fool.com. From Ben T. Abraham, if you want great fries with your burger, then go to In-N-Out or Culver's. That's like, I don't know how many people have emailed us about Culver's. We we, we got, I know. I got to get to a Culver's. Yeah. Uh, from Roy Harvey in Beacon Falls, Connecticut, the best fries I ever had were at the John Thomas Steakhouse in Ithaca, New York. I had the half and half, which is half French fried potatoes and half onions, which, sad to say, does you guys down in Virginia no good whatsoever. <laughs> they make automobiles here. <laughs> uh, and finally, from Dave Cook, there's no doubt about it, Chickies and Pete's Crab Fries. They coat their hot, curly fries with loads of Old Bay and then give you the option of accelerating the artery-clogging goodness to the next level with loads of creamy white cheese sauce. No matter how disgusting you feel after practically mainlining fat, you'll be back. Yes, you will.
3: (laughs) Where is that located? Do we get an address?
0: Uh, We'll look it up on the Google. All right. Uh, Dave concludes, I listen to you guys every day at work. Thanks for bringing a little cheer to my otherwise soul-crushing cubicle. (laughs) Woo! He should get Instagram. <laughs> yeah,
2: he <needs> to go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or a big plate of fries.
0: Bill Man, Tim Henson, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. As thanks. always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Mac Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.